interested in learning about wine, but not sure where to start? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Cork and Fizz Guide to Wine podcast. I'm your host, Haley Bullman, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm a wine enthusiast turned wine educator and founder of the Seattle-based wine tasting business, Cork and Fizz. It is my goal to build your confidence in wine by making it approachable and lots of fun. You can expect to learn everything from how to describe your favorite wine to what to pair with dinner tonight and so much more. Whether you're a casual wine sipper or a total cork dork like myself, this podcast is for you. So grab yourself a glass and let's dive in. Did you know a bottle of wine can go bad before you ever even open it? We call the things that make the wine go bad wine fault, and they're typically caused by poor storage and handling, aka why you should not store your wine in the kitchen or by a window with lots of sunlight, but sometimes they also just happen. Either way, it's good to know what these faults are and understand what to do when you notice them. And so fun fact, as we're talking about these faults, if you buy your wine from a small wine shop, you can typically take back a wine that has a fault and get a refund or exchange for a good bottle. These wine faults are also why when you order a bottle of wine at a restaurant, they have you taste a sip of it before they pour you a full glass. They're checking or having you check for faults in the wine. During this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about all the different things that cause wine faults and how, you know, what smells or how to recognize them. I've also thrown in a couple things that might seem like faults, but actually aren't, and some things that are sometimes faults and sometimes not. Trust me, it'll make sense once we get into it. Now, before we do, I want to give you a quick reminder. If you are not on my mailing list yet, I would love for you to join. When you join, you will get a free shopping guide that has 15 of my favorite wines under $15. Head to corkandfizz.com, scroll down to the bottom, and there'll be a little section where you can join the mailing list. I send out a weekly newsletter filled with wine tips and recommendations, special offers from me, and so much more. And of course, be sure to check out my virtual tasting club, The Cork Crew. If you enjoy listening to me talk about wine, just imagine how fun it could be to come drink wine with me. We get together every month to try new wine and learn from others in the wine world. Head to my website, corkandfizz.com slash thecorkcrew and use code WINE101 when you sign up to get your first month free. Now let's get on to those wine faults. Okay, the first one we're going to talk about is called cork taint or TCA or the long scientific name is 246-trichloranosol. Hopefully I said that right. Basically, if your wine and you open your wine and it smells like wet cardboard, wet dog, musty basement, has minimal fruit flavor if you are brave enough to try a taste of the wine, your wine is likely corked or has cork taint. This is caused by a chemical contaminant, that's the TCA, that makes its way into the bottle during production. It's called cork taint because it usually comes from the cork that is put in the wine but it can come from oak barrels or processing lines at wineries. If it happens on that latter one, it'll ruin an entire batch rather than just a single bottle, which happens from if it comes from just the cork. Interestingly enough, this is actually why New Zealand and Australia primarily use screw caps. There was a time 
I, I didn't get the, I couldn't find the exact timing of it where, so most corks are made in Portugal. And so they're often shipped out to New Zealand and Australia. But at one point there was a cork shortage and they needed them for a lot of other things. So they sent a lot of bad corks out to New Zealand and Australia, thus ruining the wine. Around that same time, screw caps had already been invented in France and were starting to be used. So New Zealand and Australia set up their entire system to start using these screw caps because they were, well, for lack of better words, getting screwed by the corks that were being sent to them. So today, nearly 95% of all of New Zealand wine has a screw cap, even like high-end red wines. And 70% of Australian wines use a screw cap. So again, they're trying to avoid that TCA or the cork taint. Can you remedy this? Unfortunately, no. Though, fun fact, apparently you used to be able to. There used to be a technique to remove it using saran wrap. Um, The old saran wrap formula had this PVDC chemical in it. That was it was created back in 1933 by Dow Chemical, and it binded with the TCA taint and it removed it from the wine. Saran wrap does not contain this polyethylene PVDC anymore, so you can no longer use. Like I don't know how you would do that. Like you'd like stick the <laughs> saran wrap in the bottle, or like how do you how do you get all the wine in contact with with I don't know. I'm so curious about this. I'm gonna have to find a video, but apparently it used to work. It does not need more. So if you find a wine that is corked, it has these flavors or chemicals, save the wine and then just take it back to the winery or the wine shop that you purchased it. If it was ordered online, I think you can just like email or call them um, and they're usually pretty good about it. It also is good for them to know because then they know whoever gave them the cork or where that came from. If they start to notice a pattern, they can note that. Otherwise, it just happens occasionally. Okay, so the first one was cork taint. And that's if it's wet cardboard, wet dog, musty basement. Next one, we're going to talk about reduction. So this is if you smell garlic, cooked cabbage, rotten eggs, cooked corn, or a burnt matchstick in your wine. This is reduction. So reduction happens when wine doesn't get enough contact with oxygen during the winemaking process. It causes above threshold levels of this volatile sulfur compound, which again is like that rotten egg smell. The most famous of these sulfur compounds is hydrogen sulfide. It is made by yeast during fermentation, and it's mainly produced when the yeasts are short of nitrogen or otherwise stressed, which can happen in those low amounts of oxygen during the winemaking process. This is one of those that you can remedy sometimes. So if you notice this smell, you notice that like rotten eggs, the burnt matchstick, what you can do is you can try decanting the wine. So this is where you take it from the bottle and you pour it into some form of larger container. Um, Usually they look like vases. You can also use a pitcher or just really anything you have that like holds a larger amount of liquid. Pour it into there for a little bit. Let it sit maybe like 30 minutes and give it a try. You can also just try, you know, pouring it in a glass of wine and really, really swirling that wine. If it's not a whole lot of the smell, you can usually get it away with doing just that. I've also heard of stirring with a real silver spoon, though I feel like this was debunked at some point. But you know what? Hey, you can always try. Now, if you try these things and the smell does not disappear, don't feel bad about returning the wine. This is a wine fault. Okay, another fault in wine is 
oxidation. This is where it has aromas of bruised apples, jackfruit, linseed oil, and it might look partially brown. This happens primarily with white wines, though it will happen with red wines over time as well. This is actually something that happens to all wines, but it can happen faster or before it's meant to due to bad storage conditions. It is caused by too much oxygen exposure. This is the same process that causes an apple slice to turn brown. You know, when you cut the apple and then like you wanted to have it, you know, like two hours later and you put it in a little plastic bag and then you open it and you're like, why is this apple brown? It's because of oxidation. Most common in old wines, this is what happens if you leave a wine for too long and you didn't get to it in time. This is where like aged wines are good up to a certain point. And then if you went too long, it could oxidize. Again, fun fact here, white wines are more susceptible to this because the red wines have tannins that act as a buffer. And again, this one cannot be oxidized. So either if you are storing the wine and it's oxidized, sorry, that's gone. You can't take it back. You just left it for too long. But if you just ordered the wine or you just purchased it and brought it back and then you opened it up and it was oxidized, you can take it back to where you purchased the wine. Next one we're going to talk about is UV damage. It's also called light strike. Kind of a fun name for such a annoying thing to happen to your wine, I guess. <laughs> this is one that will kind of similar smells to our uh, cork taint, but specifically, very specifically, which I don't know if I know this smell, wet wool sweater I saw on many different forums. <laughs> also damp cardboard and old cabbage. Again, I don't know if I've smelled old cabbage before, but just imagining it doesn't smell great, you know? <laughs> So what causes UV damage or light strike is exposure to excessive radiation, usually UV, which again is that UV damage, but this also can be caused by fluorescent light. So this is usually caused by storing your wine in the sun or near a window, but it could also happen if you're storing it near a like bright fluorescent light somewhere. If you're anything like me and you're like, okay, so why? What is it about the light that causes this to go bad? Don't worry, I looked it up. The UV or the blue light transforms the amino acids in wine into compounds. And these are called dimethyl disulfide, DMDS. And that is what smells like wet sweater, damp cardboard, or old cabbage. Fun fact. This is the reason why the famous Cristal champagne is bottled in clear glass but it comes with an orange cellophane wrapper around it because for some reason we are very dedicated to clear glass in the wine world, even though it causes things like this. That's why the darker bottles are better. But most champagne is bottled in those dark glass bottles, again, to protect it. The thing is that this can actually, the light strike is more damaging to delicate wines. So like sparkling wine, like the champagne, also rosé. The sparkling actually exaggerates the fault. I'm not sure why on that one, but just trust me. Uh, again, this one you cannot remedy, but you can prevent it. So do not expose your wine to light even as short as half an hour. Just leaving it, you know, sitting outside or not sitting outside, but like sitting near a window with a lot of sunshine can cause this to happen. So do your best to store all of your wine deep in the back of your closet, down in the basement, away from windows, away from light. They, they Imagine they're vampires, okay? Our wine are vampires and they cannot see the light, all right? <laughs> Do you ever find yourself standing in front of the wine aisle at the grocery store feeling completely lost and overwhelmed? 
Don't worry, you're not alone. But what if I told you that I have a way to transform the wine aisle from overwhelming into an endless sea of joy and discovery? And it involves drinking wine and joining the most welcoming and fun community. In my Court Crew Virtual Tasting Club, we're all about exploring new and exciting wines in a fun and supportive community. No more feeling intimidated or stuck in a rut of buying the same bottle of wine. Each month, we explore two new wines so you can broaden your palate and explore new flavors. Not only will we taste these wines together, but we'll learn about where the wines come from, essentially traveling the world all through the wine in our glass. Come join the court crew and you'll have the opportunity to taste new wines, meet winemakers and other wine professionals, and connect with like-minded wine lovers from all over the world. Imagine the joy of discovering a new favorite wine and being able to confidently choose a bottle that you know you'll love. So why not join us? Head to my website at corkandfizz.com slash thecorkcrew to sign up. And don't forget to use code WINE101 to get your first month free. And now, back to the show. Okay, next one we're going to talk about, I think this is the last one that's like almost always a fault, is heat damage. Uh, it's also called cooked wine or moderized. So in terms of the how you'll notice this, you'll notice the wine has like super, super jammy, like sweet but processed smell to it. Some wines smell jammy and it's totally great, but you'll you'll know like it's like it's gone too far. It'll also have this like nutty brown roasted sugar type aroma, which again sounds great on its own, but is likely too much for that wine. If you're feeling bold and you decide to try a taste, it's not going to be like bad for you. It's just going to taste bad. It'll it'll just kind of like be lost of like the fruit. It'll just be like super jammy and sweet. So heat damage, how is it caused? You'll never believe it. Uh, It's caused by too much exposure to heat. (laughs) But this is not to be confused with if a wine is referred to as hot. A hot wine generally means that it has a lot of alcohol, unless somebody is just saying that the wine in temperature is hot. I have had one of those before. We went to a restaurant. It's like one of the like 90 plus degree days in Seattle. And we asked for a red wine and they served it. And I kid you not, it was like it felt hot, like they'd had it right next to the stove. We had to get like we got a cooler, but I don't think that thing cooled down for like the entire meal. It was it was kind of insane. Like, yo, restaurants, make sure you're not storing the wine in the kitchen. Anyway, heat damage, which I think that wine definitely had heat damage. Why this happens is it causes the wine to become more dense and expand. So since the there's a little bit of headspace in a bottle of wine. So if you take, you know, if you see a bottle of wine, there's usually a little bit of room between where the liquid ends and where the cork starts. But it's typically only about four to seven milliliters, and the wine will expand more than that. This causes pressurized air. And although the air is quite compressible in that area, eventually it will seek to escape. And there's only one way out of the bottle, and that is past the cork. So that air escapes either by pushing the cork out of the neck of the bottle or by squeezing wine or air between the cork and the bottle. And neither of those are good. So again, you cannot remedy this once this has happened, but you can store your wine at the proper temperature and ensure you are not the problem in causing this. Most people accept about 55 degrees as the best cellar temperature. 
But the most important thing is having a consistent temperature. I've actually heard that it's worse if the temperature constantly like changes. So if it went from like it was 40 degrees, then it was 60 degrees, then it was 55, then it was 40, and then it was 55, and then it was 60. That's worse than if it was just like consistently 60 degrees. So you're better off going a little higher if it can be consistent. Now, if you receive a shipment of wine, let's say, or you just purchased a wine at the store and your wine arrives with the signs of heat damage. So the way to look for that is if the cork is pushed out of the bottle. I've had that happen before. Or you see leaking wine kind of on the label. It doesn't have to be like actively leaking, but like proof that it did at one point. Go ahead and snap a photo of the wine and send that to, you know, whoever you purchased the wine from as soon as you can. Most wineries and wine shops, like I mentioned, they will replace it. No questions asked. They know that happens. Then the thing is, if you just bought the wine and you know that the heat damage happened fairly recently, you could get away with drinking it right away. What usually happens with heat damage is that it's actually heat damage causes the cork to pop out a little bit or that causes more oxygen to come into the wine, which then goes to our other thing we talked about, which was oxidation. So it causes oxidation to happen. But Oxidation is fine. It's a it's a process that takes time and it's also temperature reactive. So if you take that bottle of wine that did have a little bit of heat damage, but you caught it right away, you can put it in the fridge and then plan to drink it over the next few days. It should be okay, but it's not something that you're going to be able to age for any amount of time. Okay, so again, heat damage is that jammy, sweet, processed kind of flavor, or if you notice in the bottle, a cork that's kind of been popped out a little bit or a little bit of like leaking on the label of the wine. Okay, now I want to talk about a couple things that could be a wine fault, but are also sometimes used in wine in like a good way. So (laughs) the first one is called volatile acidity or VA, acetic acid ethyl acetate. So what is it? It's caused by very high levels of acetic acid. Legally, wine is allowed to have 1.2 grams per liter of this acetic acid, And in this way, it can contribute to complexity of the wine. Some winemakers choose to keep this in the wine um, because they like what it does. However, some people are hypersensitive to this. So you'll notice if it has high levels of volatile acidity, if it smells more like balsamic vinegar. If this happens, you can say something, it's okay. You know, like I said, some people like this, some people don't. You might be hypersensitive to it. The volatile acidity can be purposeful, but it can also happen on accident. And this is when you're fermenting very sweet grapes. It'll produce too much of the acetic acid. Okay. The second one that is sometimes a wine fault and sometimes not uh, is something called Brettanomyces or just short, people call it Brett. So Brett is a wild yeast that ferments alongside wine yeast. The way you'll know that your wine has some Brett in it is that it smells like bandage sweaty leather saddle. That's a popular one that my friend group uses a lot when we find it in the wine. Barnyard, horses, or the less like gross one is cardamom. Um, So if it smells like cardamom, there could be some bread in there, but maybe that's a good thing. Some people really like it. They think it adds this like rustic flavor, earthiness, but it's typically only good in like big full-bodied wines like Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, If you find it in a white or a lighter red, it could be a little overpowering. So if you don't like it, feel free to ask for a replacement. This is actually something I've come across. Um, Like I said, we had um, a wine club with friends. We'd always bring a bottle, you know, everybody bring a bottle. And one of the times a bottle my husband and I brought smelt exactly like sweaty leather. So it was like, I can't even explain 
you know, it, it was exactly that. So we ended up taking it back to the wine shop and and they agreed. They said, you know, we definitely smell that. Um, and they very happily replaced the the wine for us. So it was no problem. You're not, you know, you're not being a difficult challenge if you choose to do this. Um, you're actually helping them because the thing is that wine shop because then actually get a refund from the people they purchased from. So it's not like you're not hurting one any down the line other than the people who made the wine. But sometimes it's a good thing to give them a heads up, right? If they aren't doing it on purpose, like sometimes this can happen if there's a buildup of that Brett yeast um, in barrels and they aren't cleaned out well, or it's just there's too much in the winery and the winemaking facility, it'll be a heads up to the winemaker that that needs to change. Okay, now for the end, let's talk about two things that might seem like they're a wine fault, but they are not. So the first one is herbal aromas, aka it smells kind of green. So this is caused from a chemical group of compounds, the most popular of which, um, or I guess not like most popular, most common of which uh, is methoxypyrazine or pyrazines for short. These are commonly found in Bordeaux family grapes, things like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Carmenere, Cabernet Franc, and Sauvignon Blanc. It gives the wine a smell of like green bell pepper, grass, eucalyptus, asparagus, or the fun one that I like to throw out there that is a little less fun to smell is cat pee sometimes. Yes, I said cat pee. It can smell like it. Wildly enough, this does not mean there's anything wrong with the wine. Too much pyrazine can be overwhelming and maybe it's just not a good wine, but most of the time it's just there for complexity. So give it a try. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. The second one that, again, seems like a fault but isn't are tartrate crystals, which are also called wine diamonds. These are super fun to find once you know what they are. So if you've ever opened a bottle of wine and you pull the cork out and you look at the bottom and you're like, whoa, why is the cork sparkly? And like sometimes there's even like little crystals, like little diamonds on the cork. Those are called wine diamonds. These are formed from tartaric acid, which is naturally occurring in all the wines. Again, don't worry, I have the why. So tartaric acid's solubility in wine is temperature dependent. So when a wine is chilled to temperatures below 40 degrees, the remaining tartaric acid will bind with the naturally occurring potassium in the wine to form these crystal deposits or tartrates. So I think they're kind of cool. I think it's fun to come across to wine with a sparkly cork. And then sometimes they sit at the bottom of the bottle. It looks like glass, but I promise they're not like sharp like glass shards. They are not dangerous. And if you did want to get rid of the ones that are down at the bottom of the bottle, simply decant the wine with a filter, leave the sediment behind. You're good to go. Wine diamonds are totally safe. All right. Those are the wine faults. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I feel like it's just nice to know. I think so many of us end up accidentally drinking wine that has faults to it just because we simply didn't know that that was a thing. So now these are things that you can keep an eye on. If you love the episode as much as I did, you know what I'm going to ask. Please take a quick second, rate it, leave a review, take a screenshot, share it on social media, tag me at Cork and Fizz. And if you know a wine lover in your life that would enjoy it, please share it with them. It'd mean the world to me. In next week's episode, we'll be talking about one of the most requested topics of the new year. Or really anytime, honestly. I get questions about this pretty much monthly. We're talking non-alcoholic wines. I'll be giving my honest opinion on some that I've tried. And we'll also learn more about how they're made. And kind of like where this whole idea came from. 
Thanks again for listening. And as a thank you, I'd like to share my free shopping guide, 15 wines under $15. Simply head to my website, corkandfizz.com, scroll down to the bottom and join my mailing list. Cheers.